Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. All right, all right. Hey, we did something with the seats because we are real close today. So for, for you, we, nobody ever sits in the first row as is, but now you would be just a ridiculous human to sit right here. So no, no, no blame for you anyways. But um, hey, we got to get right into it. Um, do we have any people who slept with a nightlight as a kid? Any nightlighters up in here? Can we make it an identity? Unashamed in the house, the nightlighters. Amen. Amen. I was a, I was a nightlighter deep into my life. Okay. Some would say I still am. I don't know. Uh, but there's a moment in a nightlighter's uh, life, there's a real pivotal moment, okay, for all you nightlighters out there. And it's the first time you don't sleep in your home bed. And you end up in another place, maybe it's a sleepover, maybe you're in a hotel, and you realize that that thing you plugged into the wall your whole life is not there. And you have a moment of panic. Maybe you're at a sleepover like I was. And uh, maybe you have a moment where you're thinking, I don't know what to do. Do I, do I play it cool? And do I just sit in my fear of the dark, you know? Or do I tell my friend and say, hey, bro, look, I don't know why you are so crazy and you just sleep in the dark like a madman and ask him for something. Or you have to go tell that person's mom and you say, hey, look, I'm scared to death down there. And if you don't put a nightlight down there, I'm calling my mom and I'm going home. <laughs> right? I'm not going to let you guess which one I did, but I, I, I went home that night. <laughs> you know? But there's something instinctual in all of us. Maybe it's just me in the nightlighters. Uh, but there's something instinctual in us that has fear around darkness, right? And, and, and in some ways, that's, that's kind of what I want to tap into this morning is, is I don't want us to like leave this morning and be like, man, what a great reminder that Jesus is light and he came to conquer the darkness. That was really good for me to hear this morning, right? Because it's so much more than that. When, when, when we're talking about darkness or light in this moment, it's not just some like theological, theoretical, philosophical understanding of darkness and light, and now Jesus has come into the world, but it is right now reality for us. That I want to like encourage you this morning, like whatever darkness you have in your life, that there is hope for you. And we all feel darkness. Nobody is immune to darkness. 
And even this morning, like, if you're a, if you're a new Christian or you're, if you wouldn't even identify as a Christian, like, you need to hear that there is hope in your darkness, that there is a God who has come to not leave you in your darkness, but he has power for you in your darkness. He has peace for you in your darkness this morning. We all feel it. Like, I know you do. It manifests in a bunch of different ways, but we all know real darkness. It's not a theoretical thing. It is a real lived experience. And this morning, we will see maybe the greatest message in the world, that Jesus has come as the light of the world into our darkness. And so before I really start preaching, because I'm about to to get myself going, let's pray. Let me calm down, because it's like minute four of the sermon. If we had more people in the front row, I'd get after it, but... Um, Father, we just welcome your presence to be with us this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts to see the beautiful things in your word. These aren't just thoughts or ideas. and In fact, that's like not at all what we need this morning. We don't need just more information telling us. But we need your spirit to move in our hearts this morning. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. You are the light in the darkness. Amen. Amen. Let me start in verse 1, Isaiah chapter 9. We are working through the book of Isaiah uh, for this fall. We don't know how long we're going to go. Jeremy went to Isaiah 6 last week, so I I, I felt like some big sighs of relief. Week 3, chapter 6, that means we're not going 66 weeks in this thing. Unless we double down and we go like two weeks in one chapter, you never know. But Isaiah 9, week 4, the math people are lining it up, trying to figure it out. How long are we going? We don't know yet. That's the kind of church we are. Have fun, okay? But Isaiah chapter 9, he starts with this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. I love the New Living Translation says that the days of darkness will not last forever. And some of you just need to hear that this morning, that like the days of darkness that you're experiencing, like they won't last forever. But then he continues, he says, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Naphtali is how uh, Charlotte said it, and I think that's right. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Deep darkness. It's kind of a made-up word here that that, that says, but, but, it, but it's really what it means is this death shadow. And it connects darkness and death together. Which we already know, by the way. Like We, we know scientists have shown us that if the light went out, like if the sun was just gone, it would be zero degrees by the end of the day. That, that photosynthesis and all that, it would just stop immediately. There'd be no oxygen, no vitamin D, and by like the end of the week, our bones would just crush. Like the sun is gone and death would be the result. Okay? Light leaves, death comes. And, and Isaiah is saying, symbolically and in their reality, that people live there. That these people, they live in deep darkness. They walk in it. And this darkness, it's it's this all-encompassing word for the fear, anxiety, stress, loneliness. It's darkness. The addiction, the vices, the being enslaved to things that hurt us, it's darkness. 
Darkness is, is the all-encompassing phrase that we see all through the scriptures. It starts in Genesis 1. He says, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the waters. Job, in his story, says right after his, he loses his family, he, 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 he says he's experiencing darkness. He says, darkness is all around me. It's thick. It's impenetrable. It's darkness everywhere. Paul encourages us in Ephesians. He says, don't, don't live as you used to with the unfruitful works of darkness. Darkness is the reality of the human condition without the light. It's darkness, and we all know it. Let me say it one more time. There is nobody immune to darkness. It is everywhere. And why is it everywhere? Well, there's different sources for sure, but, but one is the ultimate source himself. The scriptures call him Satan or the evil one or the enemy. He is the, the author, the, the, the motivator, the, the fuel behind the darkness. And here in 2023, Western America, we, we, we find it very easy to just ignore altogether the darkness. But a life without acknowledging spiritual darkness makes it really hard to make sense of much of what we experience. I, I say we, we kind of have like Scooby-Doo syndrome. All right, let me explain. Any Scooby-Doo fans in the house? We're going to get in touch with our childhood this morning, if, whether you like it or not. Scooby-Doo, okay. Scooby-Doo, here's what happened. Every single episode of Scooby-Doo, okay? The, the gang would get together, right? Somebody would come to them with a mystery, and they usually think that some kind of spiritual phenomena. They think there's a ghost here, or there's, there's something over there. And every single episode, what would happen? They would, they would take the mask off somehow. Like, it'd be like some crazy creature, and they'd take the mask off, and it's just a person behind it every single time, right? You remember those? Rut row, raggy, hello, somebody. I had to say it, you know, we have to. But we believe that. that that's the things that shape us. Even as children, that's the things that shape you. You start to believe that, that behind every apparent spiritual phenomena has a natural explanation, that the supernatural does not interact with the natural world. And the problem with that is the Bible, really, if we're going to be honest, okay? Ephesians 6, Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He says this fight in our world isn't against man and man or man and woman or woman. And woman. He's saying it's not, that's not the fight. But the fight is against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You have an enemy, and he has demonic beings who are, their desire is completely against you. And they stem from the domain or the dominion of darkness. And they come with intimidation and deceit and fear and lies, and what they want to do is distort your view of reality. The darkness, it comes from the enemy, the evil one. And we have, C.S. Lewis says we have kind of two pitfalls here when we, when, we, when we relate to the demonic, when we relate to the spiritual world. One is that we just assume everything is a demon, you know? He says like, it's like behind every bush is a demon. Like, like earlier this week, I started, my heart started beating like really fast and I didn't know what was happening and my chest actually started to hurt and I'm not gonna lie, I was, just ca- I was casting it out of me. I, was, I, thought, I thought I had a demon in me, bro. I was like, get out in Jesus' name and it didn't go away. And then I realized I started taking this kind of supplement, and then I googled the, the symptoms in the supplement, and it was not demonic at all. You know, it wasn't a demon, right? The other, the other worldview, though, which is way more prevalent for us, is that we just think there's nothing demonic. And the reality, there's much of you in here, you, you are experiencing lies, like constant lies to you. 
Like you, you are overwhelmed with shame and you, you, you feel like you've prayed, you feel like you've thought about things, you feel like you've read the books and done the podcast. And, I, and I'm telling you, like there are other sources of darkness. And we're going to look at in a moment that Jesus has total authority over that. But that's one of the reasons. The other, the, the other source of darkness is just the world. The world that we live in. The world that we live in has dark things that form us and shape us. And I'm not going to go ham on social media, but let me just say, social media can be a dark place, can it not? Can it not form us by the darkness where we, we can't help, but all of a sudden I just feel I'm comparing myself to everyone. I feel worse about myself. I don't really even know why. I feel like I'm not being as productive as I want. There's dark things. I prayed with a friend a couple weeks ago who was going on a business trip, and he said, man, can you just pray for me? I feel like it's a dark place where I'm going. Like, we're aware of those realities. There are places where we go. We just feel the darkness. We feel it shape our souls. We feel it discourage us spiritually, emotionally, everything. The world is dark. There's darkness everywhere. It's all around us. The injustice that we face, the injustice that we see, racism, poverty, people abusing power to marginalize and oppress people, systems that are dark and broken. And so there's spiritual darkness, there's darkness in the world, and there's darkness in us. Our hearts are bent towards things that bring about darkness. I mean, that's what he said in Ephesians 5. He says, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And then he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. He's saying your identity can be light, but your heart can still be bent towards darkness. Our hearts are still bent towards prejudice and fear and not trusting the Lord, but trusting things that will never satisfy us or will never last. Scripture calls this the flesh, and it's any part of us that's trying to do life on our own, life by our own strength, life by our own power, our own self-sufficiency, and inevitably it always leads to darkness. I mean, we've all experienced that. The Proverbs say there's a, there's a way that seems right to man, and where does it lead? Death, darkness, trusting your own ways, your own thoughts, it brings about darkness. So we have darkness in the heavenlies. We have darkness in our own hearts. We have darkness in the world. And let me tell you what this morning. We have good news that Jesus, come on, yeah? Can we, can we like smile in church? All this darkness, come on, Cam, give me something. Jesus has come into the world. What is Christianity except for the only religion in the world that does not say you got to work your way out of the dark? You've got you to figure it out. You've got to find the inner light within you. You've you got to deserve something or achieve something or be, produce something, create light. It's not saying that, but light has come into our darkness. We're the only one. That's the good news. Hallelujah. Somebody said, we're talking back in church. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Every other worldview talks about you making your way into the light. But we are the only one. Christianity is fundamentally about us receiving light, about Jesus coming to us. Isn't that amazing? But the way he comes is often perplexing. It doesn't make much sense. I mean, Isaiah had to read this and be like, all right, light's coming. And he has his preconceived notions of how light might come in, you know, like a, like a king on a, on a horse, just like ready to dominate every little bit of darkness. But, here, but here's how it starts. And maybe we missed some of this, but it says, the, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. I fixed it right there. You see me catching growth in real time in Jesus' name. They will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road, runs between the Jordan and the seas, will be filled with glory. Now, let me give you some context here, okay? Naphtali, Zebulun, they are like the powerhouses. 
If you think like a king's coming, you think Naphtali, Zebulun, that's the spot, you know, like that's where it's really popping off. But Isaiah says, but in the future he will honor Galilee. And we're like, yeah, I don't know much about that. But, 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 but Galilee makes no sense. Galilee is a nation that has no influence, no power. It is oppressed, marginalized constantly by the other nations that surround it. Galilee was split into two parts, and the south part we know is Nazareth. Now you're, far, now you're like a Jesus of Nazareth. I know that. There you go. And even the disciples, when Jesus comes onto the scene, they say, we think we found the guy. And they come up to Nathaniel. You remember the story? Like, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and how does he respond? It's like, what good could come out of Nazareth, you know? They're shocked. They're perplexed. They think there's, there's no way. That, that, that wouldn't make any sense. How could he come from Nazareth? But it's almost always what God does. God is like paradoxical to our human heart inclinations. It never makes sense. He's always using our weakness to manifest his strength and his power. First Corinthians says that he uses the foolish things to shame the wise, that his power might be made known. He takes the small, seemingly insignificant things and he makes them beautiful. That's what he does. And some of you, I just want to speak to you this morning, like, like some of you, you think like, I can't be used by God. There's no way. I, I see it in some people, but you just like, you have that feeling, you have that self-doubt, that like inner critic that is just like so loud in you. And it's actually that thing in you that would make you be able to be used by God. <laughs> he loves to use your weakness. He loves to use the things that you think there's no way. I feel it in my own life all the time. Almost all the times I'm like, man, this is really where God's going to use me. Never. Always the places where I'm like, I suck here, and here he goes. You know, that's how God works. He uses our weakness. He uses the small things. And he doubles down. This is what he keeps saying in verse, in verse 4. He says, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And, and, and Midian's defeat, like we know, this is, this is symbolic of, of Gideon who broke the power of the Midianites' oppression. And Gideon was an unlikely hero. He was not one that people would pick out and say, Gideon, that's our guy, let's follow him, you know? Didn't have any of the social credibility or any of those things. And not only that, he, God literally deliberately takes their army, which is 3,200 people, shrinks it down to 300. You've seen the movie, you know? They're not original, you know? It came from God. Thank you. But that's what Isaiah says, that there is a liberator coming who's better than Gideon, one who will take that, that which is small and make it mighty. That's what he does. It's the way of God. It's the way of Jesus. And then it's exactly what he does in verse 6, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The son promised in Isaiah 7, the son promised to David in 2 Samuel, a king coming, a new King David, Israel's greatest king who will reign over God's people with justice and righteousness and peace. This is Jesus. This is who he is. But again, I mean, think about how silly this picture is. I mean, if there was a moment to preach right here, he's saying it. He's like, the government, the social structures, they will be on his shoulders. And they're like, whose shoulders, Isaiah? A child, a little kid, a baby. And they're like, all right. What are we talking about? It's the way of Jesus. It's who he is. He comes not high and mighty, but as a child, humble and lowly. What does that say about Jesus? That he he doesn't just stand at a a distance and say, all right, let's do this thing. He he enters into all of our shared humanity. What does that say about his heart for you this morning? He's not afraid of your darkness. 
In fact, he's, he's so humble and willing that he will enter as a child into the darkness. Some of you are uncomfortable right now because you're like, Cam, this is a Christmas passage and the sun is out. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, this lands a little bit better when we're in December and the sun hasn't been out. And I can say there's darkness outside and in here. Anyways, this is my transition to the next point. But these prophetic words given by Isaiah, they, they are met in the person of Jesus. He will come into the darkness as a child and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is beautiful. This is a revelation of the identity, the nature, the character of our Savior and King. He shall be called. That, that, that refers to the names of of God. And names, in a lot of ways, it, it is symbolic of not just like a, a nickname, but it is his character. It's his identity. They are synonymous with who that person is in their essence, right? Names matter in the scriptures. Even like we said, Isaiah himself, his name means God saves. They, they matter in the scripture. I hope they don't matter too much in real life, to be honest. I looked at my own name this week, and it means crooked nose, so <laughs> I don't know what we can do with that one. I don't know. I just feel he uses the small things and to shame the wise, I guess. But I kind of was thinking, you know, like maybe it means warrior of God or something, and it, it didn't at all. <laughs> but the names matter. They reveal who he is. And so who is he? Who is this Jesus that comes in? He comes in as a wonderful counselor. I'm in Israel in this moment, and much of our own problems are a mess because we lack or ignore wise counsel, are they not? But here he says he is a counselor full of wonder, a wonderful counselor, which, which really means like a miracle counselor. Like, like, like it means that he comes in with supernatural, spirit-empowered counseling. If darkness is of this world, he comes with otherworldly wisdom. Even like we'll read in Isaiah 7, it's, it's what it says about Jesus. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding. I mean, have you, have you ever had like a moment where you just have like something click in your head and you're like, oh, wow, I needed to hear that like 25 years ago, you know? Like when we find out that our parents and how we were raised affects how we are currently living, you know, you're like, oh, that makes sense, you know? We have these like wisdom moments, these breakthrough moments. That's what he's saying about Jesus, that he doesn't just come with like a, a few good thoughts, but he has wisdom to meet you in real time. He has words for us that can lead us and shape us and form us. I mean, isn't it interesting that, of, of how he came? I mean, he didn't come just as like, a, as like a king, but he came as a teacher. He came as a rabbi. They, they called him rabbi. Because fundamentally what he's doing is forming and shaping and counseling and teaching our minds how to think, and he is miraculous at it. He's a wonderful counselor, and he's a mighty God. He comes as a child clothed in humility. Jesus himself, he describes his heart as gentle and lowly, but let us not forget that he has complete and utter authority over the darkness. Mighty God, champion God, victorious over everything God, strong God, not weak. He is gentle and lowly, but that is not all that he is. He is a warrior king. I mean, let me, can I just read some of the, some of the statements from, from the Gospels? Just, there, there's, there's a bunch of stories that we read in the Gospels, and then Matthew and all the other ones, they really have these summary statements where they like summarize what Jesus did. I'm just going to read some of them, and I, want to, I, want, I just want to look how he had authority over the darkness. It's what he did. 
Matthew chapter 4, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. That's one summary statement. Here's Matthew again, Matthew chapter 8. That evening, many demon-possessed people who were brought to Jesus, he cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed the sick. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and the villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Matthew 15, just, just to, we'll just nail this, nail this puppy home. A vast crowd brought to him many who were lame, blind, crippled, and those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. When Jesus shows up, darkness reacts. And you know what it does? It leaves. When Jesus shows up, darkness has to go. He has authority over it. He doesn't just come with ideas and good teaching and like a way out, but he has comes with power and authority. That darkness that we talked about in the beginning, you don't have to fear the darkness. It says that he's disarmed every ruler, every authority. Any, any bit that they have on you, is, it's actually just fake. Like they just show, they're just presenting themselves to you. They don't have any weapons. He's disarmed them on the cross. He has authority over every single thing that is dark. He has power and might and healing available. That's how he comes. And I want to recognize and acknowledge that that's not all of our lived experiences. We don't live there. You hear those words and you feel uncomfortable. And we live in that gap between who we read Jesus to be and who we experience Jesus to be. And what we want to continue to do as a church is is look at who he is. Fundamentally, Jesus, you're a healer. That's who you are. When you come, the darkness leaves. As someone who has said yes to Jesus, we are transferred from the domain of darkness and we are not in that kingdom anymore. We are in the kingdom of his beloved son. It's who he is. He comes not just with wisdom, but he comes with power and might. He's a mighty God. And he's an everlasting father. And this one's a bit confusing to us, especially if we got some Trinitarians in the house, some real theological savvy ones. You're like, well, Cam... God the Father sent Jesus the Son, so if Jesus is the Son, then how can he be the Father, you know? Some of you are like, I didn't need to know that, but I'm just telling you, okay? That's how some of you are thinking. I'm just going to answer that, okay? The Father does send the Son, but Jesus, he has these words, maybe some of his most controversial words, the ones that maybe killed him. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so as I said, this isn't as much about a title, but about Jesus' nature and character and essence and who he is. He's saying, Isaiah is saying, there's a king coming. And the way of this king is as an everlasting father with the love of a tender, caring father. It's one of the things about who Jesus presented God to be that was so, like, just show-stopping to the people. I mean, because wisdom, for sure, that makes sense. Power, I get that. But somebody who I have the right to call dad... That one, that, one, that one will make our hearts skip a beat. I mean, the audacity of Jesus to call the creator God, Abba, Daddy, Papa, when he would pray. And now you and I, it says that the Spirit of God, it actually wells up with, within us. And we cry, Abba, Father. Meaning we're meant to relate to God. Not as a distant creator, but as our, as our Papa. As our Dad. I know this is hard for so many of us, but to see the warrior king coming into our darkness with his 
arms open and his heart pounding for you and inviting you to to, to allow the self-protection and the defensiveness and the fear just melt off you as you get into his lap to become a child once again. It's what we're invited into. He shall be called Everlasting Father. Continuous Father. Never leaving you, Father. Consistent Father. That's who Jesus is revealing himself to be. And so finally, he will be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Jesus is the essence of peace. So three weeks in a row now, we're going to get this one in our head. What is Jesus doing on the throne right now in heaven? Do you remember? He's seated. He is not pacing. He is not anxious. Jesus, in and about himself, is not nervous. We have to have that vision of Jesus. He he is at peace. He is a non-anxious presence. I mean, even when we look at, there's this, there's this moment on the boat, you know, the, him and the disciples, they're all on the boat, and things are kind of going well, and then all of a sudden the storm just comes crazy. Rain, thunder, lightning, hail, it's just going mad. The waves, they're, 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 I mean, the disciples are freaking out. They're like, we think we're going to die. What is happening? And you remember what Jesus is doing on the boat? My man is knocked out cold sleep. He's snoring. He's not anxious right now. If there was ever a time to be anxious, he'd probably be on the boat when you're about to maybe die. He's just, he's cool. But what happens? And they wake him up. They're like, Jesus, Lord, save us. He's really good at doing that. So that's what he does, right? But what, what does he do? He stands up to the waves. And what does he say? He just says, be still. Can you feel the, the peace in his words? And the readers of the time, I mean, I mean, they had a far more spiritual worldview. They weren't just thinking like, wow, Jesus has authority over uh, meteorology. You know, like that's not what they were thinking in this moment. They thought there were demonic forces behind these things. So they think they're getting attacked by everything. And even in that, he says, peace, be still, be still. And what happens? It goes. Jesus, he is the essence of peace. And not only that, but he has peace to offer to us. He says it to his disciples. He says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. To kind of double click on, there is some peace that the world will give you that is momentary, that will last for a minute, but it won't last. And I have peace for you that will, that will go far deeper and far longer and far wider than that peace. I have peace for you. Chaos is inevitable. No life you can create or curate can keep you from the chaos. Some of us have tried and we've failed, have we not? I've tried to protect myself from any little bit of stuff, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work. The world is broken. Chaos will come. Storms come. If I was a real preacher, I'd really get on the storms. Storms will come. But Jesus, all right. But, but Psalm, 8 says, Psalm 4 says this. He says, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. I, lo- I love the Psalms, man, because they're just like so real. Like they, he knows. He knows when that anxiety comes when your head hits the pillow at night, right? It's like, I can be busy all day. And the second I hit my, my, my head hits the pillow, what happens? I just well up. Every little bit of thing that is stressing me out hits me. But he's saying, in peace, I lie down. My head hits the pillow and I just knock out cold every night. Why? Because he says, for you alone, Lord. You alone, Lord, keep me safe. And that's the promise of Jesus to those who are bold enough to trust him and abide in him and take him at his word. Romans 5 says that we have peace with God. You have peace with him. 
We've been justified in Christ, and now we have peace with God. So that anxiety that even that we feel, it comes from somewhere else. It's not from him. <coughs> I was trying to hold that cough down for so long. Sorry. But Jesus has peace for us that runs deeper. The peace of God, Philippians calls it, that surpasses all understanding, all of our own limitations of what we can experience. And hopefully you're sitting here thinking, you're like, man, that's a lot, Cam. You just taught us about God being a wonderful counselor, about being a prince of peace, about being a mighty God, um, and an everlasting father. Like, that's a lot, bro. And to be honest, hopefully one of those maybe stick with you. (coughs) Sorry. Hopefully one just sticks with you. But the reality is, and the beauty of this passage is, that Jesus is, what Isaiah is saying is, Jesus is the only answer. And it looks different to all of our different experiences of darkness, but he's the only way. He's the only one. He's the only one who can bring real light into your darkness. And he doesn't just come with advice, but he comes personally. Even like we read this morning, that he is the light of the world. He, he is. He doesn't stand at a distance. He doesn't even just like remove his hand down, like, come on, let's get out of this darkness. You know, he actually enters into the darkness. Not only that, he becomes the darkness. 2 Corinthians 5, it says that he, he who knew no sin... The holy one, the, the, the perfect one, the, the one who's not anxious, the one who has been anointed with all the power and wisdom, that one. He became our sin. He, he, he entered into the darkness. He, he took all of the darkness on himself. So that now you and I, we, we actually have the invitation to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now we relate to the Father the same way that Jesus relates to the Father with that kind of peace. We've been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Jesus was anointed with power from the Holy Spirit. All the things that are true of Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody's waving a hand. Come on. That's right. That's the beauty of what this means. It's not just good advice. Don't leave here being like, man, that was a good reminder from Cam this morning, you know? Where, where is your darkness right now? And where do you need the wonderful counselor to come with wisdom Where do you need the Prince of Peace to to give himself to you? Where do you need a mighty God? Not just someone with cute ideas, but one with power. And where do you need just to rest in the Father's love, the everlasting Father, Abba? Where do you need light in your darkness this morning? Because he has it, he has it on, he's (laughs) it's dripping off of him. He's not he's not like running short on it. He's gonna just have a little bit for us. He's a God of abundance, he has plenty for us. And so we just stand with me as we pray, and then we'll, we'll take some communion. But yeah, you guys are uncomfortable. We're standing and praying. I just, I just want us to move for a second. And Lord, we just ask, don't, don't let this stay in our brains this morning. Shape our minds by the way that you teach us. But, but Lord, reveal to us, come. Come in the light that you have for us. We don't want to just like play Christianity. We, we want to believe you for who you are. And so Holy Spirit, I, I, just, I just believe you're speaking to people. And I just ask that you would bring light into our darkness right now. I, I just even ask that for people that feel a real heavy weight on them this morning. You, you've, you've shattered the yoke of slavery in, by your power. And so we just ask that you would do that right now in Jesus' name. Lift darkness off of us this morning and help us to know and experience the freedom that comes in your light, Lord. We trust you. We love you. We thank you. Even as we sing right now, we just, 
We just want to worship you for who you are. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.